Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. This must be distinctly understood or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. Thus begins Charles Dickens' classic Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. Adapted a thousand times over, this story tells of Ebenezer Scrooge, who, in the words of Dickens, was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Scrooge, as you remember, gets awoken from his life's slumber, from his indifference to the poor by four different spirits. The first of the four spirits was that of old Jacob Marley. Already dead now seven years, Scrooge's former business partner who in life was just as tight-fisted as Scrooge was. Marley's ghost tells Scrooge of his fate, the afterlife isn't that pleasant, not for a greedy, dead guy like Marley. Marley has seen the error of his life's ways and now has returned to show Scrooge the right path. Dickens Dickens writes, but you were always a good man of business, faltered Scrooge, who now begins to apply all of this to himself. Business, cries the ghost of Marley, wringing its hands again, mankind should have been my business. The common welfare should have been my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence, these were my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Why did I walk through the crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes with with its light which would have brought me in? I'm here to warn you, Scrooge, that you have yet a chance, a hope of escaping my fate. Now, how will Scrooge's salvation come? Well, you will be haunted, he says, by three spirits. Without their visits, you cannot hope to avoid the path which I have tread. And you remember the rest of the story, whether told by Muppets or Mickey Mouse or by, or by Jim Carrey. The ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future visit Scrooge. They haunt him, and through their hauntings, he is given a second chance. He sees what his life should have been, what it could be, and what it should be, and he repents. He becomes the embodiment of the Christmas spirit that Dickens wants us all to adopt. A happy ending but an ending that takes some pain getting to. An unlikely journey where the things that Scrooge fears the most become the surprising source of his salvation. And that's how it often is, isn't it? The things we fear, the pains of life, unlikely visitors becoming beacons that point the way to our salvation. That's how it was for Israel. If you remember last week, the people of Judah had been invaded by that evil empire, Babylon, with its king, Nebuchadnezzar. The ancient empire from the land of what we now call today, Iraq. 
They destroyed the temple. They forced the Jews into captivity where they lived as exiles for almost 70 years. They had given up hope of ever being saved. Many who were taken had already died of old age, and most of the captives were born after the exile, captivity being the only home they had ever known. But then then comes this story. From the most unlikely place, salvation comes. The book of Ezra begins with the story. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, In order that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, and he sent a herald throughout all the kingdom. The Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus, more spirit visitors like Marley heralding good news to the Jewish captives. And like dead as a doornail spirit Marley, Cyrus is not the kind of visitor you would expect. Who is this savior? Well, Cyrus the Great, king of Persia, the empire that eventually became what we now call Iran. Cyrus feared the god Marduk. Yet when he conquered someone's land, he treated the people with dignity. He was a benevolent dictator. Respecting local religions and customs, this foreign false God-worshipping king said to the Jewish captives, May your God be with you. You are now permitted to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He believed that God had charged him with this task. And because of this, ancient Judaism held King Cyrus in the highest esteem. He was their savior. Surprising as that was, and without this foreign king, there never would have been a rebuilt temple. There never probably would have been an Israel. The writer of Isaiah 45 calls Cyrus the Messiah, which means God's anointed one, God's chosen one, making him the only person, only Gentile to ever be given that term. A Messiah sent by God to bring God's people home. Now, you may not know this, but the Jewish ordering of what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, is different than our ordering. Our Old Testament ends with Malachi, but Jewish scripture ends with 2 Chronicles, which is right in the middle of our Old Testament. But the last passage of 2 Chronicles, which comes right before Ezra in our Bibles, is almost a direct quotation from the first verses that Mary Jo read this morning. Which means that Jewish scripture ends with this story, with Cyrus freeing the people and letting them return to rebuild the house of the Lord. This is the ending of their scripture. So it's no surprise that in the days of Jesus' birth, when Jews are looking for another Messiah, they look to Cyrus as an example. This king who became a Messiah who would lead them away from Rome. Now, I know, this may be more than you ever wanted to know about ancient Israel history. But the lesson, well, it's an important one for us today. In a day when we are terrified of anything foreign, when fear of the other is being stirred up, whether that is fear from someone from another country or from another faith, it does us well to remember that there was a time when the people of God were saved by a false God-worshipping king from Iran. But really, well, really this isn't that surprising, is it? 
I mean, isn't that how salvation always comes? From the least expected people and places when we know we do not deserve it and are ready to give up hope in the most unlikely times and ways, salvation comes. It's a lot like what is described in an ancient poem from the 13th century called The Guest House. Hear these words, this being human, being human is a guest house. Every morning, a new arrival, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and attend them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. That poem, 800-year-old poem, was originally written in Persia, the language of King Cyrus, by a Sufi Muslim poet, Rumi. Rumi's words have touched many people from many faiths, and every time I hear his words, I'm reminded again of the clarity at which he sees the world, an unlikely voice speaking truth. Welcome all of life's unexpected visitors This poet says, they may be clearing you out for some new delight. Or in other words, never close yourself off, for you never know who or what will be the vehicle of your salvation. Such a message should ring true to us this time of year. It's a season of great familiarity, steeped in old customs and traditions. We sing the same songs, we string the same lights, we may give the same gifts, We tell the same stories, and yet each year something new happens, something unexpected. Each year we rehearse again in many different ways the surprising story of a God who chose not likely candidates, but a young, unwed virgin and a scared fiancé, a God who decided to enter the world unexpectedly as a baby, born in a barn, attended by confused shepherds and visited by mystics from the east, foreigners who did not know what they were searching for yet knew what it was when they found it. Is this how the Lord came? In Advent we sing, O come, O come Emmanuel, asking God to come again, and yet we go about our lives acting as if God will come this time through expected, orthodox, and invited ways. Behold, salvation is coming. That is the message of Advent. But the heralders of this message are as unlikely and unexpected as the message itself. A foreign king, a ghost of Christmas past, a 13th 13th century Muslim poet, a chorus of angels appearing in the night sky, a joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness, unexpected Visitors, heralds sent by God to proclaim, do not be afraid. For behold, I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy for all people. For the people in Ezra's day, the good news is more than they can bear. And they weep, partly because this is not the way they thought salvation would come. Partly because they remember the way things used to be. And they can't believe that their joy could ever return to what it once was. But it's not all weeping. There are always those who cry out in joy. Those whose eyes are open awaiting whatever new thing God is doing. But most of us 
If you're like me, you're often caught in the middle, right in the midst of the cacophony of weeping and joyful shouting, and you really can't tell the difference between the two. Their sounds are so great. And we find ourselves at times joining both choruses, weeping for all that we have lost and shouting for joy for all that is promised to come. Somewhere in the midst of the two, we begin to find our salvation as the new begins to be rebuilt on the ruins of the old, as our weeping gives birth to shouts of joy. And just when we least expected it, when we were ready to give up hope and make our broken life in the midst of exile, an unlikely visitor arrives. The visitor always goes by different names, and yet we always end up calling it salvation. It's never what we expected, that's for sure. What child is this? What salvation is this? This, this is Christ the King. Unlikely, unexpected, surprising. This, this is God entering the world. And it's not what we were looking for. But this is how it happened. And this is how it happens every time. Unlikely, unexpected, surprising. Amen.